We're continuing our study this morning on the second London Baptist Confession of Faith, and we are continuing in chapter 6. And chapter 6 is entitled, On the Fall of Man, of Sin, and of the Punishment Thereof. And what we've been looking at are really the fundamental principles as the confession begins with Scripture, and then goes to the Trinity, and God's decree, and creation and providence, and, and uh, we're continuing on today uh, in light of the fall. And maybe just to recap, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, uh, Chris Cox took us through the first portion of the confession on chapter 6. And this, this chapter is truly foundational to not only understand the scriptures, not only understand our confession. Beloved, this helps us understand our own hearts. This, this chapter really helps us understand what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with our neighbors, what's wrong with our relationships, and truly setting the stage uh, for, I cannot wait, uh, for next week on looking at God's covenant and what God has done to remedy our situation, what God has done to... Um, Bring us into reconciliation with Him and to truly restore that which is broken and twisted and marred. And so paragraph 1 of chapter uh, chapter 6 speaks of uh, the garden. It takes us back to the garden. It talks about Adam and Eve and how they were created upright. They were created righteous and they were created perfect. And God gave them a perfect environment to live in. God walked among them and God knew them. And God gave them one positive law uh, that came with sanctions. And in light of this positive law, the the positive law, when when we talk about something like positive law, it does not mean, oh joy, this is uh, something necessarily good for us. But positive law means it's something that God has posited to them, something that God declared to them, something that God uh, gave them. And it was a law, and the law was to be obeyed. And in light of that, uh, it came with sanctions. That is, it came with uh, repercussions if they did not keep that law. And we looked a little bit at that last week, and or I guess, sorry, two weeks ago. And that was kind of uh, paragraph chapter one. And in paragraph chapter two, uh, we looked at the way that Adam is related to everyone else. Truly, everyone else in all of history. I've heard it said that uh, there are two men in all the world uh, that are the two most important men in all of the world. And technically, they're both Adams. One is the first Adam, and the other is the second Adam, or the last Adam, Jesus Christ, as Paul would refer to him. And the entire world is either in Adam or they are in Christ. You are under the federal headship of either Adam or you are under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And chapter 6, paragraph 2, spoke of that and spoke about the way that Adam served as a federal head of truly the whole human race. And chapter 2 speaks about the results of Adam's sin, in that by, based on what Christ, uh, 
well, what Christ would do to fix it. But, but based on what the first Adam did, it brought in the fall. It talks about it bringing in and ushering in death and ushering in uh, truly enmity with God and hostility uh, toward God. In uh, Romans chapter 5 was a, a pivotal passage that we looked at and how because of the first Adam, death spread to all men um, due to his disobedience. We talked a little bit about uh, original sin. And original sin, um, original sin sometimes is thought of as Adam's first sin. Uh, but that's not really what original sin is. Uh, original sin, it, it's, it's, if you want to think about original sin this way, original sin is defined as um, the effects or the results of what Adam did and how that is uh, placed over all other human beings in light of what Adam did. So his guilt is imputed to all mankind. And typically, we hear that and we think, immediately think, that is not fair. Uh, that is not fair that we are under that kind of headship. And, and what he did, that I would deserve judgment of God, that I would deserve uh, not to have, uh, like an opportunity that Adam had. As if, and sometimes I think in our mind, in our, our simple mindset, well, if I had my own choice... I would probably fare way better than Adam did. But typically, uh, as we are noted in Romans chapter 5, federal headship is so important because if we want to try to deny Adam's federal headship, then it has serious implications on Christ's federal headship as well. And us, if you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, coming under his federal headship. Uh, obviously, I don't think anybody would want to raise a flag that, well, that's not fair that I'm in Christ. It's not fair that I'm forgiven. It's not fair that uh, I get grace and not object of God's wrath or servant of sin or enslaved to sin. But this is uh, how God has chosen not only to create, but also to uh, bring in the glory of Christ. In the very end of chapter uh, of chapter six, paragraph three, it ends with the gospel. It ends with these words. It says, "Unless the Lord Jesus sets them free," and it, it gave us a little bit of a, of a picture that even though mankind is dead in sin, we are enslaved to sin. Uh, unless the Lord Jesus sets us free, unless God, by His grace, uh, supernaturally, sovereignly does something to uh, pull down the veil and pull down the blinders that we may see Christ in all of His glory. Um, we, actually, we actually get what we deserve be, because of our sin. We must understand what Scripture says about the human condition. And us as believers in Christ, we cannot stutter about sin. We cannot be confused about what the Gospel is and what, how Jesus delivers us from the wrath of God. We cannot, we cannot soft-pedal salvation or redefine it or, redescribe it in ways that, that reduces Jesus to 
Almost like a snake oil salesman that, oh, if I just, if I just have Jesus, then my life will be more soothing and I'll, I'll have a better job and, and my kids won't fight as much and my marriage will be better. Do you know what you need to be saved from? From the wrath of God, from your sinful condition. I'm not embarrassed to talk to about the gospel to you because the gospel is the power of God and his salvation. And beloved, every single week as we meet together, we need to hear the law of God crush us and bring us to the end of ourselves. We need to hear God's law convict us and say, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. There's no halo up here saying, oh, I'm, the pastor's perfectly holy uh, of, my, of myself. But I stand before you today as, as a beggar, showing you uh, as a beggar, all of you, where to get food. It's in Christ. It's in Him. He is our source of life. He is our forgiveness. He is our joy. He is our hope. May you also never tire of hearing that joy, of proclaiming that joy. And I pray and hope that you have a message to proclaim to your neighbor, to your family, to your friends, the truth about their sinful condition before God. In original sin, speaking of our original corruption, it says here, we're gonna, today we're going to look at parts 4 and 5, paragraphs 4 and 5. In, in paragraph 4 it says, from this original corruption... It says, whereby we are uh, utterly indisposed, we are disabled, <laughs> and it says, made opposite to all good. So that word uh, in the confession, utterly, it's, it's a distributive kind of word. So all these things it points to, that is, we are utterly indisposed, we are utterly disabled, we are utterly made opposite to all good. And when we think about our own hearts, we think about um, who we are of ourselves. Uh, we are uh, utterly indisposed before God. And that is, um, we are completely undone before God. I noted there in Matthew 15, uh, verse 18 through 20. And I want us to look at the source of our actions and where they stem from. And Jesus brings attention to uh, our hearts. There is a sense in which uh, a source of temptation, a source uh, of sin may be the world and all of its machinations trying to point you away from God uh, in relation to uh, temptations from the evil one. But here in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, He says, Do you not know that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? He says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. He says, And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. <laughs> it stems from our own hearts. 
says murder comes from our own hearts. Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, lying, slandering others, wanting to bring them down, accuse them. He says these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Beloved, even from this passage, we need to understand that even evil thoughts, what the confession is going to talk about uh, in the next paragraph, even evil thoughts, what, what sometimes is referred to as the first motions of sin, these evil thoughts need to be repented of. When, when you're first confronted Maybe it's with, maybe it's with thieving. I know for me, I don't know, I think it was maybe eight or nine years old, but my brother and I were in a store and my parents were off doing something else and we found that it was so easy to go and grab gum off the countertop and put it in our pockets. And uh, it was so easy and we're like, well, let's go get some because we beg mom often and she always says no. So we were like, we've got this down. We're going to go steal some. We're going to go take some. Because they've got plenty and they're not going to miss one package. Or two or three or whatever might fit in our pockets. And so we got away with it. We got into the car and we had it behind our backs and we were opening all the wrappers. And, you know, we weren't too smart because we started shoving this bubblicious into our mouth, you know. And it's like got this aroma and my mom immediately slammed on the brakes. And she pulls over. And she's like, what are you two doing back there? And we're like, over. And, and she said, you stole that. Yeah, we did. She drove us right back up there. And for like an hour, she made the cop that was up there take us to like this back room. And he was telling us how bad that what we did. And we were terrified. He pulled his cuffs out. And we were like, man, this guy's a gun. We're going to die. We're not ever doing this again. I tell you that because that thieving of that gum started up here. It started in a thought. I want that. It's mine. And Jesus, he calls attention. He calls attention to the corruption of our hearts. And whether you're a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, or a 70-year-old, or 80-year-old, or 90-year-old, we have to deal with our hearts. We have to deal with the evil thoughts in our minds. As unbelievers, uh, we have nothing good in us. We don't have any righteousness of our own. It doesn't mean that we are as uh, depraved as we could be. But we have nothing in us uh, that seeks after spiritual good. And that's what uh, the confession talks of here. It says that, we are made opposite to all that is good. That is, even 
uh, human beings can do things that are relatively good. Uh, you can help someone maybe across the street or help someone with their groceries, things like that. But typically, it's because you want someone to praise you or uh, you're doing it for selfish motives and you're not doing it to honor and glorify the Lord. Here it says, not only the, uh, one part of, the, of the, the negative is that we're indisposed and disabled or made opposite all the good. And then he says it a different way. He says that we are, uh, they, they can talk in the confession that we're wholly inclined to all evil. And, and then, he, then it says that it does precede all actual transgressions. That is, uh, the, the thoughts that we think, the, the actions that we do, it leads to, it proceeds to actual transgressions. Uh, so, um, I, I think I have it a little later, but uh, I'll just find it and read it. Um, in, the, in the book of James, uh, this, is, this is pretty telling, thinking about not only the mind, uh, but also the heart and our actions in relation to sin. In James chapter 1, in verse 14, it says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Again, just as Jesus said that out of the heart come evil thoughts and theft and murder and corruption and immorality. Here it says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Um, Sin in any form, however small, is not to be uh, trifled with. Even even those sins in the mind. So, I I want us to look at some scriptures. Trying to think how much time we have and be sensitive to that. I want to make a case of how we should be thinking about human hearts before we are born again to a living hope. And how the scriptures uh, testify to man's condition and the fruit of it apart from Christ. So in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, would someone uh, turn there for me? Ephesians chapter 2. Could I have someone read that who has a, uh, a loud voice? Can someone read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3? Cam, will you read that, that for me? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the book of Ephesians, um, the Paul wanted to really exemplify to these Gentiles the condition of the human heart apart from Christ. And, and here he's reminding them who they were. Who they were before they were in Christ. But it really, really sets the stage for anyone who is not in Christ. It says that they were dead. This is spiritually speaking. <laughs> they, they have no life. 
that, that they are dead toward God. It's not as if we don't do things, but we are dead spiritually in trespasses. It is breaking God's law. We are uh, dead in sins. And notice, notice how it describes the people here. It says, in which you once walked. Okay, it was their habit. It was their pattern. It was uh, the, their, the way that they lived their life. It was uh, the, the past that they went down. They used to live this way. And then he says, you were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. This, this is pretty shocking to people that really don't know what the scriptures teach about our spiritual condition, but they're actually following Satan. They're following the course of this world. They're following the devil. But Paul himself includes him in this list and he says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And here is something I, I want us to understand uh, that the scriptures speak about when it talks about being dead in sin. It, it testifies to the fact that, that we are not uh, neutral toward God. That we uh, holistically in our minds and our bodies, we are against God. We are actually... Um, in, in relation to being dead in sin, we are, uh, we are hostile to God in our minds. Our minds aren't neutral, like, oh, maybe you can pick what is righteous or what is uh, unrighteous today. Um, you're just neutral. You can do whatever you want. It's up to your free will, these kinds of things. But the scriptures specifically testify that, that we are hostile to God in our minds. That in our minds, not only in our, in our doing but also in our thinking, we are against God. Um, we are not neutral toward God. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, and uh, verse 20, it, it speaks about, apart from Christ, it talks about us being enslaved to sin. So the scriptures testify that we are dead in sin, that we are uh, enslaved to sin. That we are, we are shackled to it. The idea is, as, as a slave, you are, you are bound to it. The way that Romans chapter 6 speaks about it is that you are actually dominated by sin. And, and it speaks about it in relationship to you being a slave to sin and, and that sin is your master. Sin is the one that you obey. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. It, it is explicit. And it says that, uh, that we are hostile toward God in our minds without Christ. That, that we are not neutral toward God, but that we are hostile to him in our minds. So, apart from Christ, sin is our pastime. Sin is uh, the thing that we pursue. 
Romans chapter 1 talks about uh, all mankind from the beginning of creation uh, from, as a result of sin. That, that people are holding down. That they are pressing down their sin. That they are uh, suppressing the very truth about God. That they might hurl headlong into sin, into more and more sin. We're going to see that today even in uh, the proclamation of God's Word in, in light of the Pharisees trying to trick and trap and tempt Jesus in relationship to what marriage is and what divorce is. And we're going to see how the, the Pharisees want to twist marriage, even the understanding of marriage, to such a degree that uh, they want to discard it and reduce it uh, to, to cheapen it as low as they could possibly get it. Uh, Jesus corrects their understanding. So as, as we think of, oh, here's the verse, the temptation from our own desires. So this, this picture that Scripture gives us, maybe it's uh, four things we want to think about. You are enslaved to sin. You're dead in sin. You're hostile uh, to God in your mind. Dead, hostile, and slave. I think there's another one. Uh, blind. Blind. Thank you. I didn't put that on here. You're blind. You're you're blind to your sin. So we are we are, we are we are blind. We are dead. We're enslaved. We're actually hostile to God. This is the picture Scripture gives us of our spiritual condition apart uh, from Christ. It's a result of being in Adam as our federal head. Um, in the confession in chapter 6, paragraph 5, it says, uh, it goes on to talk about the corruption of nature. It says, during this life, it does remain in those that are regenerate. Um, I know that is bad news. Uh, I know when I was growing up, I, I kind of wished as like a junior high kid, I was thinking about my sin and I was just hoping and wishing and praying that I could just get all my sin out in like a week and just kind of move on with life and not, not sin anymore. Uh, and thinking that that's kind of how things worked. But sadly, um, even those that are regenerate, we still wrestle with sin. But thank God He's given us the Holy Spirit that uh, we battle with sin. We see our sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer dominated by sin. We're no longer blind. Uh, we're no longer um, walking according to the pattern of this world, but we are new creations. And here it, it, it draws reference again back to the gospel. And he says, although it be through Christ, those that are in Christ, we are pardoned. Uh, our sin is mortified. That is, it's dead. We are found in Christ. It says, yet both itself and the first motions thereof are truly and properly sin. Again, this, this really goes back to the idea of uh, the first motions of sin, the, the time when you're uh, being tempted by sin. Not necessarily the very first time you're ever tempted, but in all of our temptations, these first motions of sin, 
They are to be called what they are. They are to be, is to be called sin. And it is to be repented of. It's not to be played with or trifled with. Um, I wish we had time to go to Romans chapter 7 and explore Romans chapter 7 and, and the struggle that, that a Christian has uh, with sin, the battle that goes on. Um, I, I do want to call your attention to Galatians chapter 5 that speaks about uh, the, the battle that goes on. That uh, It says, the Apostle Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Let the, let the pattern of your life, let, let the, the character of your life, let the attitudes and actions of your life, your walk, uh, that you be walking by the Spirit. He says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, for the desires of the flesh, they, they are against the Spirit, desires of the Spirit against the flesh, they are uh, opposed to each other. But it's not as though uh, it's like two dogs fighting within you and whichever one you feed, uh, the other one gains some more power. I've heard that analogy. It's not, really, it's not really the idea because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And the spirit who's been given to believers that indwells us, uh, it says... That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And because we have the Holy Spirit in us as believers in Christ, the Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Spirit, by God's grace, takes us and He he takes us back to the cross and He shows us the blood that was spilled from us. And as, as we rest in all that Christ has done for us, we know what He has done. As we know what Jesus has done to bear our sins in His body on the tree, we are given assurance and hope that God has grace on me, that God has had mercy on me, and that that we can live uh, from a position of being forgiven, from a position of already being reconciled to God, not based on my efforts, not based on how good I've read the Bible, not based on my church attendance, but it's based on the perfect works of Jesus Christ. And from that, we gain assurance. From that, we move and live and aim to please God with our lives, uh, not to try to save ourselves, to try to accomplish the law of our, of our own, but we rest on what Jesus has done in His accomplishing of the law. But here in Galatians 6, it testifies uh, to the confession in chapter 6. Paragraph 5, in the idea that, that the spirit and the flesh, uh, there, there's a wrestling going on. There is, a, there is an opposition going on in our hearts. And so, as God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble, oh beloved, we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. As we hear God's law even being read later today, it is meant to lay us low. It is meant to, to cause us to reflect again on our hearts and say, Oh God, is there any way in me that is offensive? Is there any compartment in my heart that, <clears throat> that I'm hiding from You? That I'm trying to keep from You? 
that offends you. Any way that is representative of the devil. We want to repent of that. We want to see that for the evil that it is. And and repent of it. Have a change of mind about it. That we would confess before God our sins. Uh, Thank God we have 1 John 1, uh, verse 7, technically 7, 8, and 9. Um, can someone read that for me? Can you see that? Could I have someone who can lead, read loudly? Uh, read that verse. Ben, will you read that? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and us our sins, and he cleanses us from all if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I hope that your life is anchored in these verses. As the Holy Spirit, through the power of His Word, He reminds us that we cannot say that we are without sin. But thank God He's given us a provision. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. God is faithful. He is faithful and just to, what does it say? To forgive you. And to cleanse you. From all unrighteousness. Beloved, is that you here today? Have you confessed your sins unto God? Do you believe His Word here? That He is faithful. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. It amazes me at blind eyes and dead hearts that refuse to believe the truth of God's Word and what He has declared. Let us draw near to His Word. Let us believe this. Let us see that Jesus Christ is people's only hope. Let us strike up relationships with our neighbors, our friends. How about people across the aisle? Maybe sitting close by you. I am not kidding. For the purpose of sharpening one another for the purpose of magnifying Christ, for the purpose of getting to know someone else that they may not have their sins forgiven. They may not believe God's holy word. They may not believe their sinful condition. There may be someone here who doesn't believe that is a real need from the people they go to school with and sit across from. Maybe the person they're cheating with on the test. And they know the truth, but they're living in sin. But let us believe God's Word. Let us remember the blood that was spilled. For God spared no expense that you might be saved from your sins. 
that you may be forgiven of all your sins. This is foundational for understanding the confession. This is foundational for understanding the Christian life. I want to read this um, quote from Benjamin Keach. He talks about these first motions of our hearts, these temptations of our hearts. He says, these self-righteous persons uh, will not be made sensible. That is, in their minds, that, that they are in a sinful state. Because of those commendable qualities possessed within them. And they seem, uh, as they seem in their own eyes. They understand not the nature or extent of original sin, the pravity of their natural faculties. They don't understand the lameness or the impotency of their own natural powers, nor the sinfulness of the first motions of their hearts. Boasting, as one observes, of self-ability in the midst of their utter weakness and an affection to God under prevailing and horrid enmity. He goes on to say, pride commonly arises from a, a conceit of some excelling quality, whether the idea is of their beauty, of other parts, of their knowledge, or their affected piety. He said, and these men never being convinced of their own natural deformity, their filthiness, their pollution of sin. I like how he words the next part. The contagion of their soul. They don't understand these things. The universal stain of their nature. Nothing but pollution succeeding in the place of original purity are swelled up in spiritual pride and self-conceitedness. Again, referring to these first motions leading to actions performed and how they are sinful. Beloved, we, we got to be on guard against our own sin. We need, to, we need to really understand the nature of mankind. Those that we rub shoulders with, these we are in class with, these that we work with. <laughs> Maybe if, uh, if you're a doctor, those that you serve, right? <laughs> Your patients who may think they know everything and <laughs> may have a different view of the world and a different view of what's wrong with the world. I know there was a lot to get through, but we do have a little time for questions or comments, rebuttals, concerns. What do you think about these things? Maybe how, how do we apply these things? How do these things take shape in our lives. Karen. She's talking about in our daily lives, is, I don't know if y'all can hear in the back, but as we kind of come to a fork in the road, right? We're tempted. So we can either follow self pursuits and disobey God, or we can 
follow the Lord and obey Him and honor Him. And that is the crux of sin, isn't it? Do I want to honor myself and do what I want to do selfishly? Or do I want to do what is honoring and pleasing to the Lord? It's good to be reminded of that, isn't it? It's good to be reminded that even as believers, as a believer, you're not dominated by sin. That as you come to that fork in the road, you can say, not now. I'm not going to please myself. I'm not going to seek that which might be the easy road and commit sins of omission or sins of commission. Oh, but Lord, I'm going to seek to honor Him. And we have the power to do that as believers. What else? Think of it, Kim. Yeah, I love, uh, I, love, I love that because it's not only the negative aspect, don't, but also that positive aspect, oh, okay, well, what am I to do? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithful, gentleness, kindness, self-control, I think I missed one. Pastor, I'm not some of but... But when we think about, oh... Uh, like Philippians 4.8, right? Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. What does he say? Uh, think about these things. And say, oh, oh Lord, I, I want to, what can I do that, that would be honoring to you? And not just the, the negative, don't do this thing, but oh, what can I do? Yeah, what can I do? Definitely go to the Lord in prayer. Jason. Growing my faith, but guys like 
try to reason with people. And then I later came and let people reform to understand that people are blind, they are dead. And then I came to understand presuppositional apologetics that you start with the word and the spirit uses the word, and that just makes so much sense. But now I'm hearing a lot of other counter-arguments that classical evidentiary, other ways of reasoning with blind, dead, enslaved, sinful people have a place. I'm still having trouble understanding, like, it just seems like we need to lead out with the word, they need the word, like, what's, what's the case for, against that? Well, <clears throat> I would say that the first thing we need to do is pray. Amen. You know, pr- pray for those that we are talking with. You know, God uses means to accomplish His purposes. We, we as human beings, the best arguments that you have will never bring someone to salvation. We can never argue someone into the kingdom, and yet God uses means to accomplish His purposes. And God uses <laughs> crooked sticks like us, right, to to do good and right things for Him as we proclaim the truth. I mean, we want to be faithful to His Word to proclaim the truth. We want to, we want to proclaim the Gospel with gentleness. You know, it is offensive to people. It is humbling to know that you're in a sinful condition before God. But at the same time, I, I, think, I think God uses the truth of His Word and He uses the truth uh, about where people are and bringing them to the reality of their lost condition, bringing them to the reality that they are made in the image of God, uh, that, that they might see and recognize that uh, the truth of, of what God has declared not only about them, but about His Word. Yeah. Kem? You know, I, I think I think as we 
are patient with people and gentle with people and try to love them and show them the truth and tell them. Um, you know, I, I know that we're not going to argue anyone into the kingdom. And, and as good as our arguments are, whether they're from a classical side or, you know, pressing them on, on maybe a pre, their presuppositions, um, you know, I, I know that it is of God that is going to bring them to a saving relationship. And I think God uses different things for different people. I mean, it's not a cookie cutter kind of thing. And if you get all your classical arguments down, man, you can drive them right there. And it's like, can't you see? Obviously, they're blind and, and they can't see apart from God showing them. But, but he uses means to accomplish his purposes as well. I, I wouldn't want to throw either one of them out. I, I, um, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would say pray. I, I, would, I would pray for them and pray that they might even talk and be able to be open to the word and that God would use circumstances in their lives to, to bring them to the end of themselves. That, that he might even use other people. But obviously, we want God to use us among our family, neighbors, and friends. And, and, and it is good to be reminded that Jesus said that our enemies are going to come from our own households. You know, it could be our, our very families who are our enemies. And so uh, that is good to be reminded of as well. Cody, you want to weigh in on that? Um, I mean, yeah, there's nothing in this chapter that implies that uh, man is incapable of knowing some things about God, uh, about the law of nature. You know, the first chapter of our confession opens with that fact that mm-hmm. the law of nature 